The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Delta rising. Things could get worse before they get better. Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former head of the FDA, on getting vaccinations up and keeping them effective. My guess is sometime by September or October, we will be giving booster shots to older individuals and certainly immunocompromised. A square deal. After pay worth $29 billion to Square, another millennial-driven business making it big. Is there hope? Putting some of my hope on the, who, what's after the millennials? Is that disease or something? Buy now, pay later is huge in mobile. The idea that you don't pay a fee for doing this, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Those stories, plus the Senate works through the weekend on an infrastructure deal, Zoom bombing's legacy, and Disney cruises to a big box office with its latest release. I don't know. I saw The Rock's outfit and it was like, the costume room's over there. Go get me a safari outfit. It's Monday, August 2nd, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. Square is buying Australian fintech company Afterpay for $29 billion. It's all stock, so they're using uh, you know, their, their own currency. That translates to a roughly 30% premium to Afterpay's last closing price. And the news sent shares uh, of that stock soaring in Australian trading. It's the biggest buyout of an Australian firm in history and the biggest for Square, and it marks a key expansion into the booming installments payments market dominated by such companies uh, as Affirm and Klarna. Afterpay lets customers pay in four interest-free installments and only charges a fee if they miss an automated payment. Its 16 million customers will eventually be able to manage installments directly uh, through Cash App and just reading how Square has done so well, Becky, and some of the, the, the things that they offer, did you read it was all about where people put their stimulus checks? Yeah. And then it found its way into crypto and meme stocks, and, and nobody had paying any rent <laughs> anyway because well, they got that eviction. The, the deal is expected to close in the first quarter of 2022. Uh, shares of uh, a firm, which is an afterpay competitor, are also getting... Uh, a boost this morning, up uh, up six percent. There's so, a there's a couple of things here. First, yeah. this is a, an arena that some of the big players have started getting a little more active in. Apple and Goldman Sachs kind of teaming up to to look at ideas for credit card and going after allowing people to do. Um, it, it's I, I was thinking at first it's almost like layaway, but it's not because you get it now and you have to continue to pay right. uh, down the road. So more like a credit card. And I guess this gets into the question of whether Square would eventually get into a credit card offering or something along those lines, too. Yeah. Well, they get the way they make their money on this is, I guess, the merchants, yeah. depending on how much the, the cost of the item is. They get a percentage of that and, and some type of a fixed fee there. People, I guess young people once again, and I'm, I'm always trying to understand, you know, I look around at the world and 
There's a lot I don't understand. Um, young people are eventually going to be in charge of everything. Like millennials are eventually going to be in charge of everything, and we're seeing a lot of it now. Yeah. Uh, some crazy stuff happening, but, you know, it's, what am I going to do? So it's, yeah. it's going to happen either way. So for a while, they didn't like credit cards, and right. nobody does. I mean, you get in charge, you know, 15, 20% interest. Right. Yeah, is no fun. So this, this is, but now credit cards are making a comeback too. So, you know, usually what's old becomes new again. We'll see. Uh, but um, I can't, this can't deal. I, I'm trying to figure out how this, how this goes sour. And I can think of a lot of ways how it yeah. would go sour where people just say, if you already got the thing. And it, it, so if you don't, you know, it, it, you, you get charged a fee and you can't do it anymore. Eventually, if you don't pay your well, the idea that you don't pay a fee for doing this, I, 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 I take issue with that because there's no such thing as a free. Well, what lunch. if you say, I'm, "What if you buy something nice and then you just say I'm not paying?" Then you can't do it well, again, but you can do it once, can't you? Can you can do it once, or you can do it until you know there's a, a bigger problem in the economy and there's not as much cash and people aren't as flush, and then everybody gets caught at once. The question is, you know that. How big are the purchases? How much does this happen? And um, what kind of credit extension do they end up eventually doing? I, I think that would be the bigger question, because with so much liquidity right now, a deal like this seems pretty good. Although I will say the deal got done at a price that was below Afterpay's earlier highs um, from this year. So this is not necessarily at the peak. It was higher, um, even than the premium that they paid. Yeah. Is there hope for... I, I I'm putting some of my hope on the, who, what's after the millennials? Is that disease or something? What are my, my kids are, uh, uh, you know, I think they're looking at some of the stuff and going. See, you just uh, look, but you just, just like look at the millennials, right. But it was the same thing the way your parents looked at the baby boomers, right? Well, when I grew up, there <laughs> wasn't anything like that. Uh, okay, Archie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. I know. I, I'm a caricature. I admit it. Yeah. I'm, like a par- I'm a parody. No argument. <laughs> yeah, not from you. Let's get an update right now on the bipartisan infrastructure bill in the Senate. After a rare weekend session, lawmakers finalized the text of a $1 trillion bill. It's now going to be introduced to the full Senate, and it includes $550 billion in new spending over five years to build roads and replace lead water pipes. The bill's also going to be pouring billions into bridges public transportation, broadband, rail, and airports. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said it's part of his two-track strategy. A bipartisan infrastructure bill is definitely necessary, but to many of us, it is not sufficient. That's why soon after this bill passes the Senate, Democrats will press forward with a budget resolution to allow the Senate to make further historic, vitally important investments in American jobs, American families, and efforts to reverse climate change. And here's Republican Senator Mitt Romney, one of the negotiators of the bipartisan bill. I know members of both parties have been mischaracterized our efforts as somehow linked to paving the way to the Democrats' $3.5 trillion wish list. If you don't think our Democrat friends are going to push for that monstrosity with or without this bill, then I have a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. They're gonna push for that anyway. This is a separate piece of legislation. I love this one. I hate that one. These are two very different things, and there's going to be an effort, obviously, to stop that bill from going forward. This is not perfect. It is paid for. The finalized text will be offered as a substitute amendment, and then the Senate can begin voting on additional amendments. Joe, even 
if this gets passed. I, I think the big question is going to be what happens in the House, because Nancy Pelosi has said that she won't bring this unless the secondary bill is there. And you already have members like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying uh, that one House should not be able to, one, one branch of government should not be able to do this. Just looking at the Senate being able to do this without getting the, uh, the House to sign off. And they've got a very narrow majority at this point, just yeah. three seats. We talked about that last week, that you're going to need some bipartisanship yeah. in the Democratic Party right. to get this done. And they're not there uh, yet. And I don't know whether they're, they're going to make good on, on their threats that, you know, they've said that and uh, they're not even going to bring it, bring this one up until the other one's passed. Right. So I don't I don't know how you uh, handicap it at this point. You can see how defensive Republicans are, though, uh, about it, uh, because they the, the, the Republicans in art that are not part of that 17 that moved it forward and that you know are probably going to be uh, voting for the, the bill in the first place. The ones that don't like it are saying, what are you doing? You're, you're just greasing the skids. They don't want to tie it to the next one, but they're saying you give a win here. You're in, that's why you, you heard Romney just say, look, it's going to happen anyway. So yeah. I want to do this. So that's, if that's going to happen anyway and there's good things here for bridges and roads, and broadband, uh, then they find a way to do it. But the more cynical members that are further, uh, maybe more conservative and don't want to spend the money are just saying, look, you're just hurtling towards a trillion here. And then you just, you know, that adds up to, to four and a half trillion. And then you, you've seen analysis that it's actually closer to five and a half trillion when you look at everything else. I don't know how there's, do there's it. not a ton of new spending here. And they did pay for it as they went with in it. The I billion, mean, in the they, trillion. They plan to do things like sell oil from these uh, the yeah. Strategic Petroleum Reserve. They've got unspent money from the COVID-19 relief bill that's right. in it, um, extending some budget cuts. So, they, I mean, uh, there's not a ton of new money that's being committed here, but at least it's being committed to things that we know are projects that are important. Uh, it's right. $110 billion for roads and bridges. And if you look around, you drive around this country, as I know you just did, um, you Let's see the troubles, again. right? You see the troubles and, and the issues that we need to have some infrastructure spending on. Again, on, on Thursday, yeah. in fact, it's fun though. Now I got the whole thing planned out. I, I got stops planned out. Did you take any of my advice on those hotels? Um, yes and no. Mm -hmm. Yes and no. This time it's a little easier because we don't have Pongo. Pongo's <laughs> not coming. We, it had to be pet friendly. Right. He's going to have to stay home. I'm worried. He's 15, almost 16. Mm. But let's. Uh, but we digress. TMI, TMI. If you get me started, uh, I'll tell you. You know everything. Zoom, which is you know big part of everyone's life now. I don't know whether I like that either. Says it's going to pay 85 million to settle a lawsuit claiming it violated users' privacy rights, according to a preliminary settlement filed over the weekend. The class action suit by some Zoom users alleges that the company shared personal data with Facebook, Google, and LinkedIn and allowed hackers to disrupt meetings uh, with pornography, inappropriate language, or other disturbing content in a practice called Zoom bombing. Uh, this settlement uh, still requires approval by a U.S. district uh, judge, but if given the green light, subscribers would receive 15% refunds on their core subscriptions or $25, whichever amount is larger. Zoom users uh, who did not pay for an account can submit a claim for $15. Mm. And what about the situations where there was inappropriate material happening from the people who were actually on the meeting, doing um, it themselves? Yeah, did, I don't, I'm not familiar with any of that. Oh, oh, yeah, now I know what you're talking about. Never mind. Mm -hmm. Hey, that, that, was only, that was the guy who just happened to get caught. Everybody's doing it. So.
Yeah, not. All right. <laughs> also, we should tell you about Walt Disney's Jungle Cruise sailing to a better than expected opening of $34.2 million at the domestic box office this weekend, with an additional $27 million in ticket sales internationally and $30 million that was in paid in streaming on Disney+. Plus. The film secured a total of $91 million in its first three days. The movie, which stars Emily Blunt and Dwayne The Rock Johnson, is expected to be the last of Disney's slate to be released in theaters and on Disney Plus at the same time. Obviously, all those lawsuits that took place are the one big one with Black Widow, kind of alleging that, uh, hey, by releasing this online at the same time, you were cutting uh, Scarlett Johansson out of her fair share. This is going to be one that I think we continue to see kind of litigated again and again. <laughs> yeah. I agree with that uh, wholeheartedly, uh, obviously. Um, is $30 million good? Do you know? It seems pretty good. I mean, we paid 30 bucks for it. It's 30 bucks if you wanted to watch it to stream it online. And we coughed up the cash. But we've done that for every single new release that's come through. We'll pay whatever it takes for it. And you give it, if you do a Siskel and Ebert, what, what would you say? I want to see Stillwater. You want my honest opinion? It's a Disney film. Go for it. Yeah. I fell asleep. We had to watch it again the next night. Did you have any wine? Nope. Ooh, falling asleep without wine, that's probably not good. It was a long day. We were at the beach. So, okay, that's a, that. that's a contributing uh, factor, maybe. I don't know. Those, I saw the, the Rock's outfit, and it was like... Popeye? Did you, did you get that right out of... I, okay, go into the... <laughs> I thought the, Emily the, Blunt was great. She the was costume awesome. room's over there. Go the get me a safari outfit. And they brought it back, and there's the hat, and the, it just looked, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It was, it, my kids loved it, so. They did? Yeah. Does that include Matt? Yes. <laughs> yes, you big kid. Right. Next on Squawk Pod, a Delta-driven increase in COVID infections as the highly contagious variant spreads. Former FDA commissioner and squawk regular Scott Gottlieb. The problem is that the South really is the epicenter of the epidemic right now, and the South will come out of this in a couple of weeks, but you're going to see cases start to pick up in the North. We're back after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Stand by, Joe. This is Squawk Pod, today with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. Three, Here's Joe. Two, one, his mic, Q. Dr. Anthony Fauci said yesterday he does not expect uh, that the U.S. is going to return to lockdowns despite the growing risk 
of infections from the Delta variant. And speaking on ABC, Dr. Fauci said he, he believed things would get worse as there are 100 million people in this country who are eligible to be vaccinated that aren't getting vaccinated. The average number of new cases reported each day has nearly doubled in the past 10. Uh, and the number of hospitalized patients in many states is surging. At the same time, the vaccination rate in the U.S. has also been increasing. Uh, Becky, last week, Dr. Scott said he figures there's a million people a day <laughs> that are getting it, but nobody, that nobody's getting tested and you, you don't notice because yeah. you're vaccinated and you're asymptomatic. And that we just, it's gonna be endemic and we better understand that you know, as we develop therapeutics and vaccines, it's going to be one of those akin to, a, to the flu that we see yeah. every year. And it, it's something that we'll, we'll have to get. I, I again saw now that the FDA scrambling to do Pfizer by September, which would certainly help. They think 30% more people would get the vaccine if it got full FDA approval. I guess Moderna and J&J still haven't completed their applications. Yeah. 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 So Pfizer, Pfizer turned theirs in a little while ago. Yeah, Pfizer's could be by uh, September. I maybe that would, uh, I, I, I'm not Look, sure. It's, it's, it's that, and then it's also the approval to get kids under age 12 to get those right. vaccines, too, once you can say that. And that, that probably will come in October. I, I, I think the data, at least from Pfizer, will be done in October. I don't know how long the FDA will look over um, that information, too. But at that point, yeah, you can say that this is the same thing as trying to deal with the flu every year when you have... Yeah vaccines available to everybody and when you have um, the, the therapies, as you mentioned, is, is probably something we're just going to have to live with. And, and if, if that's the case, if there are a million people a day who are getting it right now, you got to wonder when it burns through the entire population. Trying to figure out the whole uh, reticence to get vaccinated, because in a lot of ways, I, I identify with a, a certain side of the aisle on certain things. And, and the side of the aisle that's identified with that I don't, I just, I don't, do you remember that? I didn't even want to say I got it because I was allowed to get it when I got it because yeah. I, because of my age, but I got it like the first day that, that you were allowed because my, my dermatologist was able to get, to get an appointment. So I didn't even want to admit that, but I could not get there fast enough. After the year that we were through, the year and a half, and the synth of what you read about, it's like, it was like a get out of jail. It was like the greatest thing that I've ever been able to get. And I, and I, I understand messenger RNA technology and, you know, I was trained in molecular biology. So I, I can sift through a lot of the complete crap that I read. Right. But for me, it was like, I mean, I, I, it, I was so excited and it was so liberating. And I don't understand why it's been politicized when the leaders of both no, parties have all rushed to get those vaccines themselves, too. I mean, this is you, not... Do, do, you've got just, you know, do, 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 such a load lifted off yeah. of your shoulders when you know you've taken the worst case scenario it was off emotional. the table. Yeah, it was emotional being able to do that. And, and by the way, yay science. Look what we can actually do in right. a span and of less than a year to get those vaccines rolled out. What we're going to continue uh, to be able to do with that with that great very facile and uh, adaptable technology yeah. that messenger RNA gives you. It's very exciting. Joining us right now is Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He is the former FDA commissioner and a CNBC contributor. He also serves on the boards of both Pfizer and Illumina. His new book, by the way, Uncontrolled Spread, Why COVID-19 Crushed Us and How We Can Defeat the Next Pandemic is out in September. Scott, let's start, uh, first of all, just talking about where we stand right now with the Delta variant in this country. How bad are things and uh, where do you think we stand? 
Well, look, I think we're further along on this uh, epidemic wave than what we're measuring right now. Um, as I said last week, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a million infections a day happening or more. A lot of people are being tested at home with things like the Binex now, the antigen test. So a lot of the positive cases that are occurring aren't being reported. And to the extent that a lot of the infections happening in people who are vaccinated or younger people who are developing milder symptoms and are less likely to present for testing in the first place, I don't think we're turning over a lot of the cases that are occurring. So if you assume that there's about 90 million Americans who are unvaccinated right now, and maybe about 40 million of them have previously had COVID in other waves of infection have swept across the country, that leaves about 50 million Americans who are unvaccinated, who are eligible for vaccination. So those are adults, not children who are eligible for vaccination. If you assume about 15 million of them have already been infected with this Delta wave, you maybe have another 15 million people who are going to end up getting infected with the Delta variant before this stops spreading in the velocity it's spreading right now. And in fact, when you look at what's happening in the South, the RT, which is the rate of transfer, it's still above one in a lot of the southern states, which means you have an expanding epidemic, but it's um, going down, which means the rate of expansion is slowing. And it, that's pretty directional. It doesn't really sawtooth. It's directional. It goes up. It goes down. So the fact that it's turned the corner and is heading down in states like Florida, Louisiana, Mississippi is a suggestion that the epidemic is running its course in those, those states. Now, it's still expanding, but expanding at a much slower rate and hopefully will fall below one, which means you'll have, start having a shrinking epidemic. Meaning we'll be at the height of this in a couple of weeks or we already are at the height? Um, well, we, we might be petering out in certain states. Certainly Tennessee, where the R has fallen below one, is one example of a state that had a very dense wave of spread and now is, has an epidemic that has turned the corner. Um, I think you're seeing signs that it's sort of petering out in some of those states. So maybe another couple of weeks to go. Uh, if you think that there's about a million infections a day, maybe more than that right now, and you think that there's maybe 15, 20 million Americans who are vulnerable, who are going to end up getting infected before there's enough immunity in the population, before this stops spreading, that puts you on a trajectory for a couple of weeks of maybe continued spread. The problem is that the, the South really is the epicenter of the epidemic right now. Florida really is the epicenter of the epidemic. And the South will come out of this in a couple of weeks. But you're going to see cases start to pick up in the North. You're already seeing that in New York. Now, I don't think the epidemic wave is going to be any, anywhere near as dense here because we've had more infection. We have a higher vaccination rate. But you will see cases start to pick up. So it's going to give the you know, specter that we're going to experience a wave of Delta as well. Um, similar to what the South did. And that's going to coincide with the restart of school. So I think it's going to complicate things. This is a big country, so this, this epidemic wave is going to hit different regions at different points in time. It's not like the U.K. where really what happens in the U.K. is determined by what happens in London. Um, you're going to have very regionalized waves of infection sweep across the U.S., much like with B117 as well. Hey, Scott, have you seen any data that you think is reliable that indicates that this is uh, a more lethal or or more dangerous, not dangerous could imply a more transmissible, but anything that shows that the outcomes are, are worse or the hospitalizations are are more frequent with the Delta variant? Yeah, it's really hard to tease that out. Um, the CDC, the data that was leaked to the Washington Post, that slide deck, if you look at the slide deck, the CDC had a suggestion in there that they think it could be more pathogenic, not significantly more pathogenic than B117, but in terms of where they placed it on the continuum of different viruses, they placed it in a category that perhaps could um, suggest that it's a little bit more pathogenic based on what they're thinking. Um, I don't understand what they're thinking is behind that. Yeah. Do you think the CDC yeah. has relied on any data that has been um, maybe not completely reliable? And, and just overall, do you think the CDC is 
is, is being as effective <laughs> as it could be in, in messaging about what's happening. I mean, I don't envy their job, but uh, it's certainly been, uh, I don't know, would you call it questionable, some of the, the things that, that, the way that things have been released or even decided on? Well, I, I, don't, I don't question the ultimate judgment. I think the agency hasn't released bottom line information and really spoken to the public in a way that helps us understand our own individual risk. Uh, CDC has a very retrospective mindset. It's a high science organization that does very exquisite analyses. That's not what you need in a setting of a crisis. You need real-time information, actionable information that can partially inform decisions that individuals and policymakers have to make. So waiting four months for an MMWR report to come out to tell us exactly how bad the Delta wave was isn't going to be helpful. What we need is real-time information. That's not what the CDC is accustomed to doing, but it's almost antithetical to their culture to put out partially informed information that may end up being wrong, yet that's exactly what we need right now to, to understand our own personal risk. Hey, Scott, let's, let's talk a little bit about booster shots, um, because it doesn't seem to be something that's really moving forward in this country, but you have Israel already giving shots to anybody who's 60 and over. You've got Britain and Germany saying that they're going to start doing it soon, too. Um, what... Why aren't we? Well, I think we will. Um, you know, my guess is sometime by September or October, we will be giving booster shots to older individuals and certainly immunocompromised. CDC met recently, the advisory committee met recently to discuss booster shots for people who are immunocompromised. And they seem to be open to that. Um, they seem to be willing to embrace that concept. I just think we're on a slower path here, quite frankly. It's unfortunate because I do believe that at least for older individuals and people who are vaccinated back in you know, December and January, we should be contemplating this more actively. If you look at the CDC's own data, again, that slide deck that was leaked to the Washington Post, and it's unfortunate the CDC didn't put this out in a more prescriptive way, they analyzed an outbreak in a nursing home, uh, and they found that 61% of the nursing home residents were susceptible to infection. The, the vaccine was still protective, 85% protective against severe disease in that setting. But the fact that older individuals who were vaccinated back in January, in December, seem to be more susceptible to the infection, infection right now, even mild infection, is certainly concerning because eventually those infections are going to break through and develop into more severe disease. So I think we should be actively contemplating vaccinating, giving a booster to older individuals. And it may be the case that after a third booster, you get a very durable immunity. It may be the case that we discover with time that spacing apart the first two doses of the vaccine um, gives you a more durable response. Remember, our, this was designed to get immunity into the population very quickly. So we gave the shots three and four weeks apart. We didn't contemplate trying to give them as long as possible. We contemplated how do we give them in the short time frame as possible to get as much immunity into the population as quickly as we could because it was a raging epidemic. So, you know, these may be optimized. These regimens may be optimized over time. Remember the Pneumovax vaccine, which Pfizer makes, I'm on the board of Pfizer, um, is given the first two doses are given two months apart. Shingrix, which is the GSK uh, shingles vaccine, the second dose is given two to six months after the first dose. And so we may optimize how we deliver the first two doses over time as well when we have the luxury of time to do that, when it's not, we're not in the throes of a, a, you know, a raging epidemic. Is the booster shot going to be a different shot than the ones we've already gotten, or is it just going to be a, a, a second or third version of the one you've already gotten? Yeah, it's, a it's going to be a third dose of the vaccine that's already um, been given to people, barring any sudden change in this virus that would, um, you know, render the current vaccine ineffective against the prevalent strains. And we haven't seen that yet. There's one strain 
circulating in South Korea, a little bit 619. That looks a little concerning, but we haven't seen a strain emerge and get a competitive advantage that seems to pierce prior immunity, the immunity you get from prior infection or from vaccination. So the booster is going to be a third dose of the existing vaccine. And in fact, the U.S. government's already purchased um, enough vaccine to give boosters to the entire population. So for people who think that this is a zero-sum game and giving boosters to Americans is going to take vaccines away from other countries, um, those vaccines have already been purchased. A lot of them have been stockpiled. So they exist and they're not going to be used unless they're used by the U.S. government. The U.S. government is going to maintain a stockpile of COVID vaccine as a national security matter. They're not going to uh, deplete all the reserves. And so those doses are, you know, with the United States government or soon will be. And I guess, I mean, I, I just keep hearing and reading more about people who are kind of doing it themselves, uh, either with their doctors or without, and going out and getting a third shot anyway, because they're older, they're immunocompromised, they have some other issue that worries about that. It, how risky is that? Well, look, there's data now available to inform um, the third dose. Uh, Pfizer, again, the company I'm on the board of is developing data, put some of it out, is filing with the FDA for approval for a third dose. Um, Israel has started giving third doses to those 16 above. The UK, there was a report, is going to give third doses to about half its population. There was also a report yesterday that Germany is going to do the same. So we're going to have a lot of data, both the clinical data coming out of the trials that the companies are doing, some of which has already been revealed and looks quite encouraging in terms of the safety profile and the efficacy profile, but it needs to be fully explored and FDA needs to review that data. But we're also going to have real world data coming out of Israel. So, you know, pretty soon we're going to have a lot of information to inform those decisions. Scott, thank you. It's always uh, great to see you and we will talk to you later this week. Thanks a lot. Cheese will be next. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. And that's the podcast for today. Thanks for starting your week with us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern for the best in business news and fashion tips. Skinny jeans are out. <clears throat> Wear the looser ones. I got all kinds of, I got dad jeans. I've got- uh, Mom jeans. I've got, I've got some skinny. I've got skinny that are elastic, which are a big, <laughs> uh, which are a big help. Uh, not totally elastic, but they give, have some give in They're them. called maternity jeans. I had them too. Yeah. Uh, that's a sore subject with me because I, ne you know, my kids are getting old, but I never lost the weight after the after the first after the first two pregnancies. Oh, I feel your pain. Please listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. Now we are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.